0: Today, I'd like you to turn with me to the second chapter of the book of Acts. Pastor Connie asks a new question of the Pentecost event, and that question is why. Why then? Why all of those languages? Why on Pentecost? Connie tries to make sense of it all. Let's listen together the noise the noise is the first thing people noticed it was loud it was like a train no, like a hurricane the noise filled all your senses the fire came next that was the second thing that people remarked about the fire that came out of nowhere flayed, flames spreading out and around And then the cacophony of human voices crying out, people tumbling into the streets, everybody talking loudly at the same time, confusion, bewilderment, what had just happened? Am I describing a natural disaster? We tell each other these stories. Did you feel the last earthquake, the last tembler? Where were you for any one of California's disastrous fires last season? how did it affect you? And here in Pasadena we tell each other the stories about the great wind, the violent windstorm of 2011. Remember that when we didn't have power for days? Remember the sound of the wind and of the trees crashing through the night? Tommy Horn remembers because she had a tree crash into her house. Or maybe we talked that way about a national disaster. Where were you on 9 11. How did you hear the news? Where were you when you heard about George Floyd's death? And did you know it was going to shake the world? Big events that change the course of history. Today, our passage will describe an unprecedented event. So unprecedented that we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. We are reading in Acts chapter 2. We saw last week that after Jesus' resurrection, he told his followers, and there were about 120 of them at this point, to go to Jerusalem and wait, and wait, and then wait some more for 40 days. What were they doing during this waiting period? Praying constantly. What were they waiting for? Today we're about to find out. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Acts. 120 followers of Jesus men and women Luke tells us were gathered in one place when they heard a sound like a hurricane and saw what looked like a fire among them a separate tongue of fire came to rest upon each one of them and they opened their mouths and to their amazement heard themselves speaking in a different language that they had not studied or known before an inbreaking from heaven into human affairs. Of course it was accompanied by special effects, which were hard for them to describe. We hear them saying it was something like a violent wind, something like a fire. But the most important manifestation of the Holy Spirit's infilling was the miraculous ability to speak in a different foreign language, accompanied by the impulse or the inspiration or the compulsion to go out to the streets and talk to anyone, know everyone, everyone who was out there. And there were so many people out there. Pentecost is a Jewish holiday, religious hol- holiday, that is celebrated 50 days after Passover. It was a harvest festival celebrating God's goodness and provision for the people of Israel. It's one of three pilgrimage festivals during the year that resulted from Jews all over the world congregating in Jerusalem to worship together. So the city was packed to the brim with Jews from Israel, along with expatriates from the Jewish diaspora. I want to show you a map of the places that were mentioned to demonstrate that wall There was no ethnic diversity in this crowd. They were all Jews. And the ethnic diversity is to come later in Acts. But there was complete diversity of language and place of residence, covering the full extent, the long reach of the Roman Empire, the Roman occupation of all those lands. The modern-day countries these people came from include Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Syria, Israel, Turkey, Asia, Egypt, Libya, Italy, Greece. It was a complete circle of nations surrounding Jerusalem. And it's not clear whether the people on the street heard the sound like a violent wind or was the the sound of 120 disciples talking, maybe they were shouting. But the extraordinary scene puzzled them. Now I don't know what kind of wine makes you more eloquent, more educated, smarter when you're drunk than when you're sober. But if there was such a thing, we would have students drinking before every test. But we all know how that would turn out. So that explanation of the phenomenon is out. And Peter says as much when he stands up to explain. So imagine being in that scene, people, are wondering what is happening, they're wandering the streets a bit, but then they find a cluster of people from their same language group listening to someone who, until just an hour ago, had no knowledge of their language, and yet here they are speaking your native language about Jesus. Jesus, wasn't he that guy, you know, that guy who did some miracles, who said such unusual things, who was killed some weeks back? He's dead and gone. That's yesterday's news. Why is he still the topic of conversation? And then Peter addresses the whole crowd. I imagine he was speaking in the common language, Aramaic. But all 120 disciples are all spread out, interpreting Peter's words into the heart language of the people who are listening. This speaking in tongues is a Holy Spirit initiative that leads to a bold proclamation of the Gospel. Now I'm not going to read Peter's sermon because it's long, but it's oh so good. Using their shared Jewish knowledge and history of, and scripture, Peter demonstrated that this phenomenon, which so puzzled them that morning, was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit promised by God through the prophets. They were witnessing the answer to their hopes and to their many prayers. God's promise, centuries long in being answered, is at long last fulfilled that very day. Peter talked about Jesus, whom you crucified, he says to the people listening. He pointed the finger at them and told them straight out. And being less than two months from the, circus, from the crucifixion, No doubt there were people in the crowd, probably lots of them, who had witnessed Jesus' crucifixion and probably lots of them who had participated in the mob violence that demanded Jesus' death from Pilate. But this same Jesus, Peter told them, was not dead. What? These 120 followers witnessed Jesus alive through the resurrection power of God. Jesus is their Messiah and their Lord. Where was he now? Jesus has been exalted at the right hand of God, and his spirit is now working in their midst. So now we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. We are in a sermon series called The Newborn Church. Today's passage shows the dramatic, divine intervention that gave birth to the Church through the infusion of the Holy Spirit, without which the Church would not exist, and without which the Church cannot grow. We're interested not just in what happened that day, but also what it has to teach us for today, for our time. So our first point is that the Holy Spirit gift comes in answer to prayer. We have to notice, it's such an emphasis in the account, that the arrival of the Holy Spirit is a fulfillment of prophecy and an answer to the prayers of the waiting community. It's not just that they were waiting, they were expecting. They were hopeful. Jesus had told them to stay in Jerusalem until the Father sent them the gift that he had promised, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And all those days of praying together prepared them to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Second of all, the gift—the Holy Spirit gift is communal. It's not an individual gift. The emphasis throughout this whole account is on their togetherness as they pray, as they receive, as they go out. Even the description of the divided tongues as of fire, which rested on each one of them, how much more individual can you get? But even the corrective is there in the middle of that verse that these tongues that looked like fire appeared among them all. And all of them received the Holy Spirit. Each of them was having their own experience of filling, but more importantly, they were experiencing it together in community. The Spirit belongs to the collective people of God as their shared and permanent promise. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit gift is for a higher purpose. I really was struck in reading this that the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit is described in just three very short, concise, packed verses. Sound, sight, senses, but why so short? This was such an important event that kicked off the church that's still going strong millennia later. Why not pay more attention to the experience of the Holy Spirit of those first believers who were being filled? Well, on the one hand, how do you describe the indescribable? But on the other hand, their personal experience in the room really wasn't the main point. And I just want that to sink in a bit because today's American Christianity is experience-driven. In particular, individual experience, my experience, driven. Christianity today seems to be in large part about what can God do for me. Many of our prayers are about what I need. Our worship is about how I feel. And please hear me well. I'm not against a personal experience of following Jesus. Not at all. In fact, I pray for personal closeness and connection often. But that's not the whole point of what God is doing. His work doesn't end with our experience of him. The experience of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, is not about you alone, but rather the Holy Spirit gift is for outward witness. This is its higher purpose. This account and the way it's written shows that the work of the Holy Spirit is much bigger than the individual experience. And I'm going to say a kind of might be controversial thing here. If your experience of Jesus doesn't drive you beyond yourself, outside of yourself, beyond your own little world, if the Holy Spirit doesn't drive you outward in witness, out where it's risky, out where you can be misunderstood, out where you look weird in the culture that's surrounding you, then I'm saying it's not the complete work of the Holy Spirit. If all I care about is how I feel, or my amazing worship, or my intimacy with God, then I have shortchanged the work of the Holy Spirit to stop with me. And in Acts, this filling of the Holy Spirit and this speaking in tongues is, by the way, very different from what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. In that passage, the speaking in tongues was unintelligible. It was a heavenly language rather than a foreign human language. It was still outward in the sense that it was meant for the edification of the church body, not for the world outside, but just for inside the walls of the church. It was a two-step process. One person spoke in tongues and another person interpreted it. But this speaking in tongues in Acts 2 fills the recipients with service for mission, for salvation, for transformed lives. God makes sure that the message reaches the audience in a form they can instantly, immediately apprehend. So the divine initiative makes possible the purpose that God has commissioned through the human witnesses. So the Holy Spirit gift is for a higher purpose, for outward witness in proclaiming the gospel. Every one of us followers of Jesus is called to the same purpose, same high purpose, to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. And it's such good news. Who doesn't need, desperately need to live in forgiveness and grace. Every day, this is a need of mine. Who doesn't need to be free from their past, from their mistakes, from their sins? Who doesn't need to be healed in their inner being? In our racist, highly divided, hyper-politicized, pandemic-ridden culture, we need massive inner healing that the world just cannot give. The exhaustion, the anger, the divisiveness that attach to us just by a fact of living in our toxic world. Well, there's no amount really of mindfulness or of being good to ourselves fully that can completely resolve that deep inner brokenness that we carry. We need, desperately need the peace that is beyond understanding and beyond our circumstances that only God can give. We need a place of safety, a security, a refuge that we can run to anytime, day or night. We need provision far beyond our human resources. Who doesn't need to be loved unconditionally? You, the awful part of you I'm talking about, the worst of you, the unlovable part of you, the part that no one else can can stand and you don't even like about yourself, that you needs to receive unconditional love of Jesus. Especially when you least deserve it. This Jesus who, while you were at your worst, while you were acting out, as Peter says, while you were killing him, he died for you. Out of love for you. Yes, you can experience God's love for you when you're at your best, when you are a wonderful person, but anybody can love you at your best. You need God's unconditional love most when you're at your worst. And who doesn't need a transformational relationship with God? How else are we going to change these ingrained, negative, harmful ways of being that just seem so entrenched in us? How do we change racism, bigotry, selfishness, anger, individualism, greed, and so many other harmful character traits? We can usually affect a lot of interchange by ourselves. Lots of techniques and helpful tips out there. And there's therapy, which is a must for everyone. But to change a fondo, that we say in Spanish, to the very bottom, just to get all the gunk out from the bottom. We need God's transformational resurrection power. And in the end, who doesn't need to live in the eternal presence of God, to be wrapped up in his everlasting arms? Once we've traveled through the valley of the shadow of death, who does not need eternal life, abundant life? And we don't get to have those without Jesus. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, promises all of this. And the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that God is faithful and He will fulfill His promises. I don't know who I would be if I didn't have Jesus in my life. Well I know that I probably would have doubled down on my worst self. I know that I probably would have turned inward. That I would be more selfish, that it would be more critical and harsh. And I know that there would have been a lot less love in my life without Jesus. I know that because I know the places where I've needed transformation in my own life. I need the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ in my life and I'm so thankful for all of those who have proclaimed the resurrected Christ to me. And I need, we need, to proclaim that good news of Jesus to everyone around us. The Holy Spirit gift is for divine human connection. It is always, always the work of the Holy Spirit to bring the message of the gospel home to the receiver's heart. We need to do all in our power to communicate the gospel in the heart language of the listener in a way they can best understand. But it is always the Holy Spirit who makes that divine connection, the aha moment of faith, the opening of spiritual eyes and ears to the wonder of a God of love. The connection of the divine and human is a mystery we the body of Christ are promised this connection through the Holy Spirit. And so very many of us have personal encounters with God that we know didn't originate with us. It was not started on our side. We have Holy Spirit experiences where we knew God was speaking to us. Now maybe we couldn't prove it on paper to others but we know when we have connected with God in a special Holy Spirit way. And at the same time, our humanness doesn't go away. The church has a lot to apologize for, as we've gotten it wrong so often. We could all give examples of someone who confused their human words with the words of the Spirit. And there's a lot of power in someone claiming to speak for the Lord. And there's also great potential for hurt as they wield that power. We've all seen abuses with the gifts of tongues or the gift of prophecy. But if that causes us to fear the Holy Spirit or to swing to the opposite side of the pendulum and resist the Holy Spirit, if we then say any and all evidence of the Holy Spirit is false or subjective or suspect, then we've missed a divine connection of power and inspiration that leads to life, that leads to eternal life. And I don't want to be the kind of church where the Holy Spirit is, to quote someone else, either kept to the interior region of individual devotion or makes a public appearance in the form of odd religious experiences that frighten away the uninitiated. I don't want to be a Trinitarian Church in principle, but a Bitarian Church in practice, which worships the Father and Son and leaves the Holy Spirit on the margins. We need the Holy Spirit at Altadena Baptist Church. We need the Holy Spirit because in our power, we can't get very far. So I'm asking if we at ABC can commit ourselves to pray for an infusion, an outpouring, a filling of the Holy Spirit in our ABC body of Christ, which includes you and me. Can we commit to pray that the Holy Spirit will fill us open ourselves to His filling for the purpose of His service, of His commission, for the purpose of mission, salvation, transformed lives. Our community needs Jesus. Can we ask God to use us as His vessels for His divine purposes? Are you in? Let's bow our head in prayer. Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let us start our prayer with a moment of silence for repentance and forgiveness of sins. Holy Spirit, rain down on us. Fill to overflowing every open heart, every willing heart right now. Fill us communally as the whole church, the whole body of Christ. Fill us to do your work, to be bold in witnessing to your resurrection power. Fill us so that we know that our human spirit has connected to your Holy Spirit. We are willing. We are waiting. And we will give you the glory when we see what great things you have done in our midst. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As always, we'd like to invite you, for this season, to join us online at altadenabaptist.org or our public youtube page every at 11 a.m for remote worship all events are suspended right now but if you need prayer please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com and again we pray god's blessings on you this